I want to share with you a very powerful idea. It's kind of obvious to all of us, but really bring it out through the Torah, through this week's Torah portion and the idea of it, and then tie it into Purim, and it's a message for life. So we all know that last week we spoke about the Jews that they left Egypt and they, uh, they got the Torah and they built themselves a tabernacle, like a house, like a shul, a synagogue. And that's where they serve Hashem and God. And that was their first building that they built called the tabernacle. Don't fall asleep because I'm going to tell you something really powerful here. Okay. This week is called Tetzaveh, which means to command. And it refers to the fact that it, it, this week's talking about all the stuff that was done in the temple. So last week was talking about all the stuff that was done to build it. This week is talking about all the jobs that were done inside it. Okay, does anyone know who used to work in the temple? In the tabernacle? Who was it that used to have the job of working in the tabernacle? Kohanim. The Kohanim, the priests. Right? It's a special family. They came from the Levite family. And they were the ones that had the um, requirement to work in the temple, in the tabernacle. So this was like a very holy place. I'm not getting into the details. Last week was about building it. This week is about the stuff that happened inside it, the work that was done inside by the Kohanim. And this is how this week starts off. Moshe is told, Moses is told, You should command the Jewish people to take oil, which would then be used for a menorah, that every single day, continuously, every day there will be a ner, a candle lit. And this was done in the, in the Ohel Moed, the tent of meeting, outside, uh, right where, outside of where the, 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 um, the tablets were kept, not in the room where the tablets were kept, that was the Holy of Holies. And that's where Mo, uh, Aaron and his family, the Kohanim family, every single day would go and light this candle every single day. So this is the opening of the job of the discussion of the job that the Jews or the Kohanim had to do when they would work in the tabernacle. Last week was talking about building the tabernacle. Now let's look at the language of last week. Last week it says, speak to the Jewish people. They should take for me a donation from anyone who wants. And this is the donation that they should give. Gold, silver, copper, purple wool, blue wool, uh, linen, all different types of materials, leather, all different types of skins and, and woods, expensive materials, special stones, very expensive stones and jewelry, all was given to this beautiful temple. And if you look at the language in last week, it says that God tells them, every person can give. He says, speak to them. Anyone can give whatever they want. Gold, silver, copper, they can give whatever they want. When it came to building the building, anyone can give whatever they want. But when it came to lighting a candle, something so small like lighting a candle that was required to do every day, that in this week's portion is called command them. Tetzaveh, command them. Tzavet, Benisa, command them. It's more of a strict language. And the question is why? Why is it that when you build something, everyone's willing to give silver, gold, copper, money, whatever you want. And it's a language of softness. Whatever they want. But when it comes to the work that was done in the synagogue, the work that was done in the tabernacle, that needed a very strict commandment. Command them every day to go and light that small candle every day. What's the big deal? You need to have such a strict language, such a harsh language. Command them every day to light that candle. Why? And the answer is very simple. To build a building where it's a one-time donation, just to build a building, that's easy. But to do a daily job, 
a job that's daily, that takes consistency every single day, that takes a lot more work. And for that reason, they had to be commanded. Lighting a candle, they need a commandment. Bringing gold, silver, and copper, no commandment. Whatever you want, it was a nice language. But when it came to the daily stuff, strict language. Guys, starting a book, this is the message here. Starting a book is easy. Finishing a book isn't always so easy. How many people started a book but didn't finish it? Right? Starting a job, getting into a job, not always so easy, but it's easier than staying in a job. How many people have it hard to stay consistent in a job? You know, one of the things that people don't want to do is if they're not happy in the job they took is to just leave straight away because then it doesn't look good for the next job you get into. Oh, you can't stay. How long were you in that job for? A month? So you couldn't, right? You don't want to look bad in terms of not being able to stay in one place consistently. We want to be able to be in one place consistently. That's, here's another thing. How many ideas do people come up with? Ideas, inventions, things that will be great to invent. So many ideas are always brought up. But how many of those ideas are actually brought into fruition? Not as many. It's easy to come up with an idea. It's easy to start a book. It's easy to start anything. But it's much harder to be consistent and stay with it. And by the way, this is the Jewish story. We're taught that when a baby's before the baby's born... He's taught the entire Torah. As soon as he's born, he forgets it all. What's the point? What's the point of teaching him? Because the idea is that at the beginning is God-given. The beginning of life or like any situation is God-given. The question is, can you be consistent with it? You need that initial start. When the Jews left Egypt, that was all miracles. Right? So the foundation of the Jewish people, miracles, miracles, miracles. Suddenly, boom, you're on your own. Right? We're out of Egypt. Now you're in the desert. Let's see how you manage on your own. Because the beginning, this is how we understand also the way the world was created. The way that the world was created was a tremendous energy. A tremendous energy right from the beginning. A yeshma'ayin, something from nothing, which had everything in it. A tremendous energy at the beginning. And then eventually it came to be matumtzat, like more, um, uh, how would you say it? More condensed and done in a way which is calmed down. At the beginning there was a lot. Then the second light, right? There's a first light, second light. The first light is like the creation. Then the second light is what we have in the world today. So like Jewish tradition always teaches that the beginning that you have, the inspiration that you have from a beginning, that's going to happen. The question is, can you still maintain that inspiration long term? And that's the language in Psalms. Listen to this. It says, Mi Hashem. Who is the one that can go up the mountain of God? This is in Psalms 24. It says, Mi Hashem. Who's the person that can go up a mountain of Hashem? Meaning, who's the person that can become great spiritually? And then he continues, But who is the person that can stay up there? Because there's one stage which is getting up, and there's another stage which is staying on top of that mountain. It's not, it's not only about getting the job. It's about staying in the job, if it's the right job for you and it's going to be the right thing. right? It's not only about being inspired by a speech. It's about taking that inspiration and being consistently taking an idea or a message from it daily. That is going to change you. That's why Maimonides says, what's better? Giving a thousand dollars of charity or a thousand separate dollars, one dollars to a thousand people. So a thousand dollars to charity in one shot or one dollar to a thousand different people. What's better? Maimonides says, what do you think? You might say, okay, what's one dollar? But what do you think? A thousand dollars to one person charity or one dollar to a thousand people 
of charity. Dollar What's better? A, a dollar to a thousand, Maimonides says. Why? What's it's insignificant? First of all, our rabbis teach us never think that charity is insignificant. Today we see it so much in terms of all these charity campaigns. Never think that charity is insignificant. Every bit, one penny plus another penny plus another penny from the entire world can add up to a tremendous amount of money. We could save poverty if we all gave, if we calculated the entire world, how much money everyone can give, we could easily save poverty. The world's poverty, no question about it. Because we just have to value the power of something small. One small coin, giving it to a thousand people is much greater than one-off donation because it's about how you grow and how you change. And when you're doing a thousand different donations, you are giving a thousand times. So although you're giving less, but giving you're doing nonetheless. You are giving and that's, what's, that's what matters. So when you give a thousand times, you've done a thousand givings, you are becoming a thousand times better than when you give a one-off giving. Here's the idea, right? When, when somebody comes up to you and says, oh, dude, I stopped smoking. I used to smoke. I stopped smoking. And then you ask him, oh, wow, that's amazing. How long for? And he says, I stopped for eight hours. And you're like, okay, great. Please. You didn't stop smoking. That's only eight hours. Maybe you want to stop smoking, but you've not, able, you've not given yourself enough time to prove that you've stopped smoking. It's great. You know, pat him on the back. Give him a positive word. You know, wow, that's amazing. Good for you. Good that you quit. But really, the test hasn't begun yet. The inspiration to stop. People stop after every smoke. You know, every, every smoke, they're like, okay, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. The inspiration isn't just the not smoking. The inspiration should be, I'm, I'm now quit. Right, and I've done this for long term. I've not just done this one time. Is this making sense to anybody? So that's why, when the building of the tabernacle, which involved much money, tremendous donations, it was a one-off donation, easy. We knew that they were going to get the money. They had so much money. They told people to stop, stop. You're giving so much. But when it comes to a daily thing that you do consistently, even if it's small, that takes so much more effort. And that is where greatness is really achieved. Okay, so let me give you some examples of this idea. So, you know, somebody who says, I, won't, I don't want to get angry. I want to work on my anger. So again, you know, one time it's easy. But to make that a consistent thing that I work on my anger for long term, that's where real, real change matters. And that's where it really happens. That shows the true greatness of a person. Let me give you some examples through this. We also have to understand that growth is a process. It's not like you, anybody just grows spiritually or in any way in one second. Growth is a, is, is a step. It's a step-by-step -step process. You don't just grow in one second. There are moments of falls. There's a moment where you grow, but then you fall because you're growing. It says in, it says in Kohelet, Shlomo Melech said, Ki Adam en Sadiq, a human being, there's no such thing as a righteous person on earth who does good and will not do bad at the same time. Ki en Sadiq There's no such thing as a righteous, a Sadiq, a righteous person that does good on earth and has never sinned. In fact, the more good you do, the more likely it is that you can fall because you're aware of and you care about growing if you don't care so then you won't even know if you're falling or not but if you're aware then you can fall there's no such thing as a righteous person in this world who's never made a mistake humans are going to make mistakes so you know when we when we find a certain truth or we think of a truth that we want to live by and we say okay that's it this is a truth that i want to live by i don't want to uh, speak Lashon Hara anymore. I don't want to speak gossip anymore, let's say. Normally, what happens is uh, we want that truth straight away. I want that from now for the rest of my life. From now. 
for the rest of my life. Today, I want to quit speaking Lashon Arab. It doesn't work that way. It's a process. It takes work. And we fall. What happens when we fall? We start feeling worthless. Ah, what's the point? What's the point of trying? What's the point of trying to do good? It's, it's impossible. Right? What's the point of trying to do Shabbat? It's like so hard. I may as well not do it. So that's where the Yetzirah comes in, the evil inclination. We understand that we have a good inclination, the evil inclination. That's the voice that is being spoken within us. And that voice is actually what we call it in, in Jewish teaching. It's actually a malach. It's a real angel. That's a real angel. And it makes us give up. And it doesn't just make us give up. You know that it says in our evening prayers, it says, Vaser satan We have a prayer in the evening that we say, which is, Please, Hashem, get rid of Satan, which is my evil inclination. That voice that says, you can't do it. You're worthless. Why are you getting up? What's the point of getting a job? You're unsuccessful. You're never going to make it, right? All those comments. We say, Please, God, remove from me my evil inclination before I do wrong and after I do wrong. Much more. The evil inclination tries to bring me down after I do something wrong. Oh, see? You held yourself to a higher standard. You said that you're never going to talk Lashon again. Suddenly you were caught doing it. What happens? The, the Yetzirah, the evil inclination says, see, you're worthless. Oh, see, you slept in. Oh, you're lazy. Oh, you Much more, the evil inclination is, is fighting with us after we do something wrong than before we do something wrong. That's why in, in the evening prayer we say, Remove Satan from after I do something wrong. After I fail because I hold myself to a high standard. Oh, look. See? You thought you're that great. Look how, look how, look how you fell. Look how worthless you are. These are. That's the language. All that language that we hear within ourselves. Boom. It hits us on, a, it hits us on the head. And then we start feeling worthless. You know, when a child is young, you ask him, so what do you want to be when you're older? What does a kid normally say? Something big, right? Something, something grand. He's never going to say, Dad, you know, I really want to be the garbage. Uh, no offense to anybody, but I don't want to be a garbage trash worker. You know, I, don't, I just don't. A child doesn't say, I want to be a trash worker. That a child in his own mind, right? The fire... I want to be if I want to work in a fire, fire engine or right, I, I want to be a fireman. I want to save the world. The child from a young age thinks really big. But as he gets older, his friends say, ah, see, and then he thinks, ah, see, I didn't work. Every time you get knocked on your head saying, ah, see, you can't do it. See, you failed. See, you didn't speak right. Ah, see, you went on the road when you, te- you said that you didn't. You didn't color right. Your friend told you your coloring is terrible. Oh, let's see. And slowly but surely, your brain starts telling you as you get older, oh, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. This is the language of the Yitzhara. You thought you were better. Right? You said you thought you were perfect. See, you're not worth anything. Why are you bothering in any way? Right? This, this is the language of the Yitzhara. It says, A righteous person falls seven times and gets up. Why is he righteous if he falls? It should say, Seven times a person falls and gets up. And then he's righteous, but not righteous when he falls. Because a person that falls and also says to himself, okay, I want to see how I fell and how I can keep going. This is a path for me. It's a growth. It's not that one day, all in one day, I can become a great person. It's not like all in one day, I'm, I'm going to overcome all of my personality traits and just become perfect. It doesn't work like that. When a person has that mindset and falls, he says to himself, okay, I fell today. I, I saw what I shouldn't see. I said what I shouldn't say. I did what I shouldn't do. I fell today, but I'm going to learn where it was that I fell so that next time I won't fall in the same place. That's the right motivation. That's the right way of thinking. 
That's the language. Kisheva yipol tzadik v'kam. The righteous person falls and then gets up. What does the wicked do? The, the wicked, they stick into bad and they stumble in bad and they continue talking about it. They don't try and get out of it. They stay there. A righteous person says, no, I'm going to get up. And I know I fell, but that falling is part of my growth. You take three steps, then you take one step down. Then you take another three steps. One, that's how life works. I, I don't become perfect in one day. There's a, for example, in Jewish teaching, we have a rule. There's no such thing as being um, saying that I could trust myself when it comes to immoral relationships. That's why we have a rule that you can't do yichud. I don't know if you know about this, but we're not allowed to be alone. A male is not allowed to be, especially in, in a place of work, anywhere, allowed to be alone with another woman. Right? You are not allowed to do that according to Jewish law. That's called yichud, to be alone. For you to be alone with another girl or a girl to be alone with a man is something which we are not allowed to do unless we're married to them. Why? There's ways out, right? You're allowed to have the door open or if you're in a public space or if you're... But to be alone in a room, and you might tell me, okay, listen, Rabbi, I'm not going to do anything with this person. I'm, I'm not going to fall. She's uh, 200 years old. She's, I'm never going to fall. It doesn't make a difference. Because if you, if you break the boundaries in one area, eventually you'll break the boundaries in other areas. We have a rule that when it comes to sexuality, there's no guarantee. No one knows for sure that they control themselves. They can control themselves in that regard. And for that reason, we have certain laws to avoid ourselves being alone, to eventually fall and stumble in that area. Why? Because we have desires. We're human beings. I'm just trying to show you that there's certain areas where the falling isn't the problem. It's the sta stages before the falling that is the problem. Why did you get yourself to a place which caused you to fall? Somebody's in an immoral relationship. For instance, God forbid he's with another. Um, he's in a relationship with someone who's married. So she's married to someone else and a guy falls into a relationship with her. Right? That's forbidden according to Judaism. And you're, you're not allowed to have a relationship like that at all. It's very, very bad according to Judaism. The question isn't just how you ended up in that relationship. It's because also the question is that where, where were the boundaries prior to getting into the relationship? There needs to be said because you can never trust yourself. As a human being, you can't trust yourself to not fall. You have desires. You might say, well, I, I just know I'm not going to fall. Yeah, but we're humans. And therefore, we need to make certain boundaries. And these boundaries are very, very important. So in life, we've got to make those boundaries to make sure we don't fall. And part of falling is to teach me the boundaries I need to take for next time when I grow. So I'll give you an example, okay? A child is learning to walk. How does a child learn to walk? Starts getting on his feet, gets up, and the mother's standing behind, or the father, and they're like, yay, right, did one step, two steps, wow, and then the child falls. It's a big deal for a child to learn how to coordinate his movements and his thought at the same time. It's not easy. You know, being able to walk for the first time, we take it as a, something that we've just able to do, but it actually takes a lot of effort and work in the mind, how to coordinate your legs and feet at the same time. We do it subconsciously now, but that, that takes a lot of effort from the child. So, so the child does two steps, falls. So what does the mother say? Come on, that's great. She picks, picks up the child and lets him walk again. And again, the child walks a bit, the child falls. Imagine if the, the child says to his parent, okay, mom, dad, I give up, that's it. It's too much work. Obviously, the child can't talk at that point. But let's say the child says to his mom, I, I give up. I'm staying here. I'm not walking for the rest of my life. There's no way, right? A, a parent would say, no, you have to walk. Life is going to, 
you need to walk for your life. They're going to try everything they can to help that child walk. That's exactly what it is. We, we in terms of our life, in, in terms of growth, it's w- moving and then falling. Moving and then falling. Growing, pushing and falling. Pushing and falling. It's like what they say with taking a, if you want to take something that's stuck to the ground, how do you take it off the ground? Right? It's stuck. It's wedged deep in the ground. You can't just pull it. So what you do is you push it back and forward, right? You push, then let go. Push and then let go. Push and then let go. Push and then let go. Eventually, it comes out. That's exactly how it is with us as well in spiritual growth. You grow a bit. Then you wait till you feel like you're happy in the place you are. Then you grow more. Then you grow more. Then you grow more. But to be in the same place, the last thing a person wants to do is to say that I am today 25. And when I'm 80, I'm going to be the same human being as I was when I was 25. That's the last thing you want in your life. So if somebody says, I've been, I'm just giving an example here, okay? If my problem is that I'm, whatever your challenge is, TikTok binging till five in the morning. Someone told me that this a common thing in, in a lot of young people today. TikTok binging till five in the morning. If that's something I do, I hope that most people are going to say, well, I don't want to do that till I'm 85. I don't want that to be me. There's definitely something that we all don't want to be me when we're 85. We don't want to be the same human being because that's a waste, right? That's, that's a shame to live a life which is so short and to come out exactly the same I was, I am now as I, wa- I will be in, in, in 80 years. That's, that's a mistake. I want to come out of this world as if I've really grown into the best person that I could be. So growth is until you're happy and then you grow again. And then you grow again. You know, happiness is part of being happy is shlemut, shalem, to come to completion. You know, when you hear music and you hear beautiful harmony coming together, you start feeling good. You're like, wow. Happiness is a lot to do with harmony. When you start seeing that things come together and you're like, whoa, that's so cool. That's amazing. When you look at the world and you see the harmony of the world, God is happy with his creations. When we look at the creation of the universe, I don't know about you, but when when I see a, a documentary or some kind of scientific discovery about a certain animal, about the earth that we live on and how perfectly fine-tuned it is. It makes me happy. Yismach Hashem b'ma'asav. Hashem is happy with His creations. When I look at the creation of the universe and I see it's all its harmony and its unity and how everything comes together, it gives me an amazing feeling to be part of this unity. I, I, does that make sense to you? To be part of completion, to, to working ourselves towards completion is what's going to make me happy. And that's why a lot of times people are the same today as they were yesterday, same this year as they were last year, monotonous life this year as they were two years ago, same life as I was three years ago, and then they stop feeling unhappy. They're not happy. Why are you not happy? You're making more money. I'll tell you why. Because success is not happiness. There's two words. One is success, success in my business, And the other is happiness. Two different things. You can't be successful and guarantee your own happiness. You have to work towards completion in order to be happy. So that's part of our life is to working towards growing. Walking like a child. Always trying to grow. And that's what we're trying to do here. So this is why, this is exactly why When it came to lighting the menorah, that needed a strict commandment. Make sure they do that every day. It's an important job. When it came to making that one-off donation, you can give whatever you want, no commandment at all. Because a one-off deed, a one-off good act is easy. It's It's also valued, don't get me wrong. But it's when you do something continuously, consistently, even if it's small, that shows that you have something good in you. If if anybody doesn't have any form of consistency in their life, 
a certain time that they do something, any form of consistency in their life, their mind is not organized. That's why when it comes to us as well, like vacation time, I can't wait to get back into a routine. I can't wait for the time when vacation's over and I get back into a routine. I don't know if you guys have it, but especially with kids, everyone's not in routine. The worst thing ever. Being in routine is part of the idea of consistency. There has to be consistency in your life in order to achieve greatness, both in the physical world, in your work, but also in your spiritual world as well. This consistency in your growth that you're always going to a point where you're on the top of the mountain and staying on the top of the mountain. Let's talk a bit about anger for a bit. Okay, I want to delve into anger for a bit as an example of growth in anger. So anger is something that's definitely not easy to overcome, especially when they made me angry, which is why I'm angry. Right? Why are you angry? Because they made me angry. Well, obviously, that's why you're angry. So let's talk about it, right? A spouse that gets angry about with their other half or a parent that gets angry with their children or a child that's angry with his parents. Normally, when that person is not around anymore, we start reflecting on our behavior and we regret that behavior because we really care about the person. So for instance, it's normally when we're not with our friends, when we're not with the spouse, that there is this fondness, this idea of, oh, I miss that person. And that's when we regret the times that we are um, impatient, angry, and so on. Okay, so Revolvi, by the way, says an amazing idea. When it comes to a parent and a child, just to prove how we work in ways that can be very, very dangerous without realizing. He says that when it comes to educating your child, a lot of times we expect the child who's been living for two years to have the understanding of the world, which is similar to me, who's been living in the world for 35 years. My level of learning socially of how to live in this world has been 35 years of experience. A child is only two years old. The child runs on the street. It's not because he's meaning to do wrong, but you have to tell him off. But also there has to be an understanding always at the back of my mind is that I had 35 years of learning of how to live in this world. Child had only two years of learning. Before that, he was just nothing. A tiny little being. Just a, two years. So a parent that tells off their child, yes, sometimes you've got to tell off the child, but always remember, this is one of the very important things that we always need to remember is that the child had two years of learning. You had 35 years of learning. You can't expect. Sometimes our reaction is, how did you do this? You can only say, how did you do this if that child had 35 years of living like you had 35 years of living? But if the child only had two years of experience in this world, you can't, right? Does this make sense? You can't expect from a child the same understanding of the world as much as you understand the world because the child's only been here for a very short amount of time compared to you. So how do you react? The right way to react in a chance, in a time where the child does something wrong is to tell them off, but also to tell them off with a smile, with uh, a word, an understanding that when you have that understanding, everything's a bit calmer, right? That person's new to the world. You've got to elaborate. You've got to be calm. So somebody might tell me, okay, listen, the only way that my dad listens to me is if I get angry with him. The only way that my parents listen to me is if I get angry with him. I tried 20 times telling him the same thing, but he doesn't listen. So my only way to deal with it was to get angry and then eventually he listened. Does this make sense? Can this happen? Somebody in a relationship says, I've tried telling him 10 times and the only time he actually gets my attention is when I shout at him. What should I do? So this also can be, by the way, can also be in, in work. An employer can say, I, I, I speak to my 
my employees. I tell them what they should be doing, but they don't listen. So every once in a while, I have to give off a very stern and start shouting at all the people that work under me because they won't listen to me otherwise. So there may be a truth to that. But even so, even with that truth, that yes, sometimes if somebody doesn't listen, Maimonides asks this question. Maimonides says, even if you have a thought in your mind which says, the only way that someone will listen to me is through anger, Maimonides says, even so, the anger that you have should only be in the expression on the outside, but not an anger in your heart. Lo balev. Right? Kas, kas, mat. Avaleno kas pnimi. That's what he says. A small anger and express it on the outside to the child or to whoever it is that you need to, to show that you care about the situation, but not an internal anger at all. Not something which is inside of you because that is something that you should never do. So you might tell me, okay, fine. I understand that I need to avoid anger. But what happens if somebody purposely does something wrong to me? Now, first of all, faith is something that really needs to be involved when it comes to anger. Anger has a lot to do with emunah and bitachon. Amongst everything else, one of the things that will help with anger is emunah and bitachon. Right? So for instance, let me give you an example. Um, a spouse uh, sees his, this pot full of, full of food and thinks it's left over from yesterday and he takes it and throws it in the garbage, puts it in the sink, puts the machine on the sink and throws it all out. And all of a sudden his Spouse comes and she says, hey, I just made that. What are you doing? So that's a perfect example where the spouse can easily say, listen, I have a reason to be angry. I worked so hard for three hours. I was cooking this food and he just went and threw it out or the other way around. Right? He's cooking a meal for her and she thinks it's leftovers and throws it in the garbage. Hey, I worked so hard to make you a meal. And now you threw it away? That could easily happen. So how does a person with emunah react to that situation? Not everyone's perfect. This takes works, but I'm just trying, this takes work, but I'm just trying to show you how emunah, faith, and bitachon can actually help me overcome my reaction. First is, my spouse did not do this on purpose. That's the first thing. I mean, they threw the soup. They didn't do it on purpose. They thought it was. Right? But even if I think that maybe he did it on purpose, I have to say to myself, there's three hours of my time that I spent making this food that went to the garbage for no reason. But who knows where those three hours, those three hours were a kapara, an atonement for something. They were three hours that I had to have gone through of cooking for no reason, of working for no reason. I had to have gone through those three hours. But who knows, if I didn't have these three hours, where those three hours could have been instead. Maybe it would have been in court. Maybe I would have spent three hours somewhere else. But because I spent these three hours, it saves me from a much worse situation in the future. That's what Emunan Bitachon is. I went through three hours of wastefulness, of time which doesn't make sense to me. But who knows... If not for these three hours, where those painful three hours could have been somewhere else. That's how Yamunah and Bitachon can change. Another, another way, it's like the Talmud tells us, that one time, a similar story, and what happened? It was a snake that poisoned the food. The snake poisoned the food, and the food was thrown out. So again, there's another way where we could say, who knows? if I would have eaten this food, if it would have been good for me. Right? So that's what emunah bitachon is. Emunah bitachon is that I trust that every single situation that happens into my life has a reason and a purpose, that everything in this world has a reason and a purpose. And even though it seems that this person is hurting me, I know for sure that this was anyway meant to come my way and it could have come my way in a different way or even worse. Make sense? That's how a person with emunah takes work. 
takes a lot of work. But that's how a person with emunah and bitachon answers to a situation where they are angered. But the question is, what if someone purposely angers me? You know, if, if somebody does something by mistakes, you can't get angry, right? Let's say a shark attack. No one gets angry with a shark for attacking somebody. Why? Because the shark was working over instinct. If somebody does something by mistake, we, we can't really get as angry with them. But if someone does something on purpose, someone purposely hurts me, embarrasses me in public. So there too, a person with emunah and bitachon, a person with faith, can come to a level where they say, this is from Hashem, no one. This is the language of the Talmud. No one can even move his little finger in this world unless it was decreed from above. Meaning, if someone goes like this to you, that also was planned from above. Nothing happens in this world without a plan. So, when, I, when somebody does something wrong to me, him doing wrong, that's between him and God. The punishment that he'll get for doing wrong to me, that's gonna, he'll get the punishment, whatever it is, it's between him and God. But why was he choosing that specifically me? Why did he specifically come after me? That's because Hashem has a specific calculation and that was my tikkun. That was a kapara, an atonement. That was my tikkun, my way of fixing myself in this world. The psychologists say that if you hang, have anger inside of you, you have to take out your anger. If you have anger, you need to bring out the anger. Maybe channel it into a more healthy way. But according to Judaism, we say that a person can actually strive to get to a point where he doesn't even have anger in him at all. Like Maimonides says about himself, that even if somebody would drive me crazy, I would never, I would always know that it comes from Hashem and it's not, someone, not something that I can get angry particularly with him. So a person can actually, according to Jewish faith, we believe that a person can build himself to a point where there's no anger in the first place. And that's the ultimate place we want to be. Why? Because anger is one of the worst things you can do to your body. This is what Nachmanides says in his letter that he wrote, he wrote to his son. He says like this, Make sure you always speak on a soft tone. Speak in a soft tone. When somebody speaks in a soft tone, you save yourself from anger. Just by speaking on a low tone, already in itself, can solve anger already. That's already saving anger. To every single person you speak to at all times. And when you do this, you will be saved from anger, he says. Because anger is a very bad trait which causes you to fall in a deeper pit to do worse things. Like a rabbi say, somebody who gets angry, all types of Gehenom, like hell, takes over you. As it says, that somebody who removes, if you remove the anger in your heart, because anger is an internal thing, it sits on your heart. If somebody removes the anger from their heart, by doing that, he's removing bad from your flesh. People think that the main way to be healthy is to do sport. You know, you're running, you're working out, you look good on the outside, you have a six-pack. Uh-uh. Health is also determined by inside as well. Health is determined how your heart works, how you react to situations. There's physical health on the outside and there's physical health to your organs on the inside. And that's what Nachmanides is saying here. When somebody removes heart from the heart, the anger from the heart, he's also removing all different bads from his flesh. What's the bad? All the different problems that you will have. Evil has bad in itself. When you're saved from anger, you'll always then grow into being more humble, which is a very good trait. It's actually the best trait to have. Nachmanides considers anger the worst trait and humility the greatest trait to have in your life. So one of the ways to overcome anger is through, um, is through 
emunah, faith and understanding that whatever someone does to me is really not them. It's God doing it. He could have done it through anybody else. Why was it specifically to me? Because that is for me, for my tikkun, nothing to do with this person. That's the ultimate level. Not everyone's on that level. That's the ultimate level. There's another way that we can make sure that we are consistently growing. Okay, remember that we're talking about how to be consistent. Consistent versus a one-off inspiration. So another way to be consistent in our growth is Hayom. We say in Shema every day, If you listen, If you listen to the mitzvot that I command you today, why does it say today? The commandments that I command you today. What's Hayom today? Because that's how somebody should treat his mitzvot every single day. That Just today I need to do it. A lot of times people think to themselves, Oh my gosh, Shabbat? No way. It's, it's just too much. There's this and that and that. Think of the first hour. Just today. Think of today. Yeah, but what happens if, you know, in a few weeks time, I'm going to have to go with my family to, today. Think about your Shabbat today. Hayom. Hayom is one of the keys to growth in Judaism, which is don't think too far ahead of what will be with my Judaism in ahead of time. Today, can I do it? Can I do it now? Okay, so then do it now. This idea is actually taught very powerfully in a story of a great, great rabbi, the Stipler Gaon. His son is what the greatest rabbi of today, Rabbi Chaim Kanievsky. But the Stiplegon was his father. He lived in Ukraine, born in 1899, and passed away in 1985. He was a giant, very big rabbi, and he was actually pulled into the army, the Soviet army. And once on Shabbat, he saw uh, it was freezing cold. The cold there is something that you can't even imagine. And he was outside. And uh, he had to take, uh, it, was on, it was his duty to guard the building or the headquarters or whatever it was. It was his duty to guard. And there was a special coat that kept everyone warm, but there was only one or two of those coats that kept you warm. If you didn't have that coat, you would freeze. And the soldier that was before him, he was now meant to be the one in the shift at night to guard the building. And the soldier that was before him took off his coat, took off this fur coat from the army that keeps you warm in the middle of Russia and puts it on a tree. So the rabbi, in his greatness, was thinking to himself, wait a second, this coat is a problem for me to wear for two reasons. One is because it's Shabbat and on Shabbat I can't take, we have a rule that you can't take stuff off a tree. You can't use a tree on Shabbat. If you have stuff on a tree, you're not meant to take it off on Shabbat. You make peace with the trees. And the reason is because maybe you'll come to breaking off some branches. So he says to himself, I can't touch the coat. It's Friday night. If I touch the coat, I'm using the tree. So I don't want to use the tree. Plus, I don't know if this coat has shatnez in it. Shatnez is wool and linen. And according to Judaism, we don't wear wool and linen together. So he says, I don't know if this has wool and linen in it. So I can't wear it. But also, it's pikuach nefesh. I need to survive. Judaism doesn't want you to. It says, live by Judaism. Don't die by Judaism. I want to live. If I stand in the cold for any longer, I'm going to freeze. So he says to himself, you know what? Maybe I can do it for 10 minutes. I can last for 10 minutes without the coat. As long as I can last, I, I, I'll wear it. In 10 minutes, I'll put on the coat. And he waits 10 minutes. After 10 minutes, he says, oh, you know what? I managed for 10 minutes. I could do another 10 minutes. And he went through the entire night in the freezing cold without putting on that coat. That's a very high level. But what we see here is that when somebody says, today is what I need to do in order to become better. Today, I'm going to wake up early. Today, I'm not. Then I don't think of all the challenges ahead of time. I just think of today, it's possible. Is it possible? To... We don't realize the power of the human being. The human being has so much more ability than we imagine. Let's say 
It happened to me. I go to bed. This can happen. It happened to me once. I went to bed. Tired. It was a hard day. I'm about to sleep. And suddenly the house is shaking from an earthquake. And I jumped out of bed with all my energy. I was so finished. I told uh, I was telling Shira, like, I'm so tired. This is such a hard day. I need to sleep. I start lying in bed. Boom. The, um, all of a sudden, energy that I never realized I had suddenly came out of nowhere. You know, jumped out of bed. Like, where did that energy come from? The answer is that we have tremendous energy within us that we don't even know we're capable of. You could be working an entire day. But if you really put your mind to it, You could stay up for another 24 hours without even realizing. Our ability, the human ability to do way beyond its own strength is something that we don't even realize. We don't even comprehend. So that's the power of saying Hayom. Hayom means today I'm going to try and I'll think about the challenges that come my way later on, but I'm not going to think about them now. Today is today. That's all I need to think of. That's the first thing that you do. And by the way, the evil inclination, which we're talking about, always makes it seem much harder. That's how the evil inclination also works. It says in Bereshit, in Genesis, La petach chatat rovetz. La petach is at the entrance. Chatat means the, uh, the evil inclination. It's one of the names of the angels of the evil inclination. Chatat rovetz, it's waiting at the entrance. Where's the entrance? When, as soon as a person's born. As soon as a person's born, straight away, the evil inclinations there trying to pull you down. He's after you all the time. However, this is a verse in Genesis 4-7. After human beings were created, this is one of the things that they were taught. That as soon as you're born, there's going to be an angel that's trying to pull you down in your mind. And he's always going to chase after you. But you can overcome it. You can overrule it. Never say, and this is one of the places, the sources that we know, that there's never a challenge that a person can't overcome. If a challenge comes your way, according to Jewish teaching, you are, if it came your way, then you're able to overcome it. If it went to somebody else, they may not have been able to overcome it. But you have the power to overcome that challenge. So that's how the evil inclination works. That one of the ways that the evil inclination works is it makes things appear so much worse. When Chava, when Adam and Eve were told not to eat from the tree, so do you know what the snake said? Oh, Chava, Eve, you know, you can't eat from all the trees. And Chava says, no, it's not true. We're allowed to eat from all the trees. Just one tree we're not allowed to. And there were thousands that they were allowed to. No, but there's one that you're not allowed to. And what did the snake say? You're not allowed to eat from all of them. He lied. And that's how the evil inclination works. What does it say? It says Shabbat. You know, when it comes to Shabbat, you can't cook. You can't do this. You can't do that. It's right, Observing Shabbat is impossible. Why, why would I ever want to do it? There's so much. You can't even breathe. You can't live. You can't sleep. It starts adding a whole list of other things that's not even true. You can sleep. You can breathe. You can, you can actually eat. You can even eat cooked food. You can eat hot food. You just got to cook it before Shabbat. That's how the evil inclination works. It, get, it blows things up as if it's impossible. And then it makes us feel like we're so much smaller in our capability than what we're really capable of. We do not understand the capability of a human being. It's beyond us. But our, they say that we use a tiny percentage of our brain. You know that, right? We actually only use a tiny percentage of our brain. Isn't that crazy? So that's how the evil inclination works. When it comes to Shabbat, by the way, what are we doing on Shabbat? We exchange the pleasures that we have during the week with a different pleasure that I can't get during the week. When I have Shabbat, I'm now putting away some of the pleasures I have during the week, like traveling or whatever. But then instead of that, I'm getting a different pleasure, which is being able to focus on myself, on my family, on my table, on my life, on who I am. I'm exchanging one pleasure with another pleasure. I'm not losing out. 
I'm gaining another pleasure by throwing out the other pleasure. Another answer, and then we'll finish off, to the evil inclination is whenever somebody says to himself, I don't want to be consistent. I don't want to keep growing. I don't want to, right? A person needs to ask himself, what is my purpose in life anyway? What is the purpose that I'm here? It says in the Talmud that this world is like a corridor. That's what it is. It's a prusdor. It's a corridor to the world to come. What's the purpose of my life? When I have the right perspective in what my purpose is, then I'm able more, much more to be consistent in my growth. When I realize that what is physicality anyway? It's only a tool to give me something, but it's not my goal, right? What's my life anyway? I need to make sure that I'm growing. If I'm not growing, then why am I here? If a person changes their perspective, what is my purpose in life? Why am I here? When a person changes their perspective, then they're able to actually enjoy their life and grow consistently much, much more. Because growth is a lot to do with also maturity and folding certain parts of my life in order to grow more. For instance, when it comes to dating, right? You, what's called a more serious data versus an immature data. More serious dating is where you say to yourself, I'm going to look at one person properly and I'm going to give them my full attention. That's somebody with a much more mature way of dating. A more immature way of dating is, I'm going to take this person, but I'll look at this person too and I'll look at that person and I'll look at everybody and I'll never take anyone seriously. That's because I'm not taking myself seriously. The question, the way to have consistency in growth is to say, what is my purpose in life? The Midrash gives an amazing example. The Midrash says to get good perspective of what is my purpose in life. It says like this. It's like somebody who has three good friends. Those are his favorite friends, always close to him, always his, there for him, everything. The best friends, he's got these three friends. His father comes up to him and says, who are your favorite friends? Who are the friends that care for you the most? He says, these three, three friends, these are the ones that care for me the most. He says, to, he says to his child, I want you to test them. Test your friends. See if they really are your friends. He says, no problem, dad, I'll, I'll do that. So he goes to his friends and he says to them, listen, I have a major court case. I've been suspected of murder and I want you to testify that I'm actually a good person. So he goes to friend number one. He says, please, will you testify and say for me that I am a good person? So friend one says, listen, I am your friend, but, you know, caught. I'm too busy. I'm not able to. I'm so sorry that that's what they are saying about you. I really am so upset for you, but I can't come. I just can't do it. Friend number one. Friend number two says, I can't believe what they're doing to you. That's what they're doing to you. I'm going to come with you but I'm not going to walk into the court. I can't walk into the court. I'll walk with you. I'll take you. I'll drive you. I'll accompany you. I'll wait for you outside, but I won't be with you in the court case itself. And then friend number three says, no way. That's what they're saying about you. I can't believe it. I'm going to be with you in court. I'm going to stand there. I'm going to be with you until you leave that room. I'm going to be with you and I'm not going to leave you unless you're free. Because I cannot believe that that's what they're saying about you. Friend number three is the closest one. So it's, the rabbis say that's the same in life. We have three friends in this world. One is money. The things that we have are possessions. The other is our family and friends. And then finally, it's the good deeds that we do in this world. So friend number one, which is our money. We're about to leave this world and we say, friend number one, money, money, come with me. I'm about to leave this world. And money says, what, what do you mean? There's no, there's no point for my money outside of this world. When somebody's in the grave, what's the point of their money anyway? I, I'm only made for this world. My car, the car, the house, the money, that's only for this world. So the money doesn't even come with you. Family and friends, they come with you to the grave. They don't die with you. When somebody leaves this world, they leave this world alone. You came in this world alone. You leave it the world alone. 
So family and friends, they walk you to the grave, but that's as far as it goes. They'll cry for you. They'll care for you. But that's as far as it goes. But Torah mitzvot amasim tovim. The Torah study. The good deeds that you do in this world. That says, I will stay with you right through and through. I will accompany you even after you leave this world. I will write your name, all of your deeds on your grave. Your good deeds will be written on your grave. I'll accompany you into the court, into the world to come. And that's how it is. So that's the way that we have the right perspective in this world is to understand what am I here for? What am I taking with me? When somebody has that right perspective, then they're able to be consistent in their growth as well. And by the way, this all fits in to Purim as well. Why? Because we're told that on Purim, the Jews re-accepted their Judaism. It says, They already got the Torah thousands of years before, but they re-accepted their Judaism again. What does that mean? Because there were no more miracles. At Sinai, there was all miracles, miracles, miracles. That was like God's revelation. Whoa, yo, right? But finally, when you come to the story of Purim, you don't actually see the miracles directly. Everything's indirect. Actually, if you look at the story of the Megillah of Purim, God's name is not written in it one time. It's just coincidences that eventually lead to the freedom of the Jewish people. That's the life that we're living in. We don't see Hashem directly, but we see it through the coincidences of life. And Haman and Amalek represent safek, uncertainty. They literally represent bringing that uncertainty into the world, saying that everything you do, what's the point anyway? Right? Let's eat and drink because tomorrow we're going to die anyway. 180 day feast. What's the point anyway? We're all going to die. What's... That's the, the essence of Amalek is to bring uncertainty into the world. The essence of Mordechai is to show that in this world, there's no such thing as a coincidence. So we had already the first inspiration, which is when we got the Torah. And then we have Purim, where we're, we're maintaining that faith, even in a world where I don't see all the great revelations. I don't have that first light like I used to have. I'm now in a much different place where there's much more coincidences, but I don't directly, we don't have prophets like we used to. We don't have the same system that we used to. And now it's like a new revel. It's a new form of accepting my Judaism. It's a, it's a form of accepting your Judaism by looking at life and saying that there is no such coincidence. There's no such thing as a coincidence. Everything has a reason. And when somebody is able to look at life and say that my friend one, my money is not going to come with me. My friend two, even my friends and family, they are important to me. But even them, they don't come with me. The only thing that I leave in this world, the trademark that I leave in this world is Torah, mitzvot, and ma'asim tovim. It's only the good deeds. It's only the kindness and it's only the study of Torah that I do in this world that will actually leave my legacy in this world forever. So my blessing to you all is that you all have, first of all, a great Purim if you're coming. Have an amazing, amazing Purim. And um, remember, the power of consistency that you should be able to not only start books, but finish them. And especially the one book that we're talking about here which is the Torah. Start it and finish it. And not just start books, but finish them. Start life, but finish it. Get into jobs, but stay in the jobs. Get into the right job and stay into it. By the way, it's very important to know that when you get a new job, you shouldn't ask yourself, okay, oh, you know what? I can manage with this job for a year. Worst comes to worst, I'll leave after a year. That's not good enough because you never want to go into a job for just a year and then leave or just half a year and leave. If you have to leave, then you should. But you don't initially want to get into that kind of situation because it doesn't look good on you. It doesn't look that you're consistent. One of the ways of proving that you're successful is to prove that you're consistent in whatever you're doing. Show yourself your consistency. 
I don't know what it is, whatever it is that you plan to do it. Is there any thoughts that you have that you say to yourself, I want this, I'm going to aim for this? And are those thoughts really translated into real daily actions? That is the job that we all need to do, is tra- and, and mainly in our Jewish growth, because no one wants to stay the same person at the age of 25 as when they're going to be in the age of 85. If you're the same, by the way, the Talmud says, it gets, it gets exaggerated. Wherever you are now, if you don't grow, it's going to be exaggerated when you hit 80. So for instance, somebody who's angry at the age of 20, if they don't work on it, by the time they hit 80, their, their anger is going to be expressed much more. It's going to be much harder for them to not express it. It's glorified. So unless you work on it, you become... There's no two ways. In Judaism, there's no... Either you're growing or you're falling. There's no two paths other than that. There's no staying in the middle on the couch and staying in one place. You're either growing or you're falling in terms of spiritually. My blessing is that we all grow with consistency. And remember that there's two ways of mainly growing. And that is um, thinking of just today. Today, I need to grow. And I can't think of tomorrow and next week and how it's going to happen when I meet my family. Right now, I need to think of today. And the other idea was that what is my purpose in this world? If I recognize my true purpose in this world, I will be able to be consistent and strong in my Jewish